Well, today we are concluding this worship series that we've been sharing in this Easter season called Finding Your Stride. We've been exploring spiritual gifts, the gifts that God has given to each one of us that make us uniquely who we are and that God invites us to use in the world to make a difference. Along with the worship series, uh, we've been gathering in a series of six different small groups during the week. There are 44 people who are participating in those groups. We're really pleased about that. And we have been talking not just about spiritual gifts, but also these other letters in the acronym. Talents, which are a little bit different than gifts. Resources, things like time and money and education and connections. Uh, Individuality, that is personality characteristics that we each have that are a little bit different from each other. Dreams, hopes, passions, and life experiences. All six of these things make us who we are. God blesses all of those things and wants to use those things, invites us to use those things to make a difference in the world. So during this series, we've been challenging, inviting you to claim your birthright. That is your mission on planet Earth, the reason why God created you. Your calling, the purpose for which you were created. And a true birthright ought to do these three things. Honor God, bless other people, and bring you joy. So if you've been here over the last several weeks, we've been talking a lot about this concept and encouraging you just to be in prayer and discernment around this issue. It's not a matter of age. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what life uh, experience you've had. Each one of us has a birthright, and it may even shift and change over time, but God is right in the midst of it. So that's where we've been exploring. Today is also Ascension Sunday. Anybody ever heard of Ascension Sunday? Ascension Sunday is a Sunday five weeks, I think, after Easter, when we remember how Jesus ascended to heaven. And it's the week right before Pentecost, which is next Sunday. Now, I have a confession. In my 14 years of full-time ministry, all those years of preaching, leading worship, I have managed almost every single year to skip Ascension Sunday. Just skip it altogether, because sometimes I have to admit, I don't know quite what to do with this. In fact, I've even thought, I just don't even get this story. But this, so that's a confession, right? But this year I decided that we would focus on Ascension Sunday for two reasons. Number one is that Don Rudolevich, one of our retired pastors, every single year, reminds us that it is Ascension Sunday, even if I have not mentioned it at all. Because Don, for Don, Ascension Sunday is a really important Sunday of the year, and he, he thinks of it as one of the most important uh, holy days of the year, for reasons I don't totally understand, but it's all good. So that's number one, and he reminded us last week that Ascension Sunday was coming. If you were here, you might have heard him say that. Number two is because I really do believe in the power of Scripture. And I believe in the power of God to work through the words of Scripture, even the stories that we don't like or think we don't understand. And I think that sometimes those stories that we think we don't like or we don't understand are the ones God wants us to spend a little more time with, right? To kind of dig a little deeper to see if we can find the meaning or the purpose. So this was a discipline for me. I said... I don't want to do it, but I'm going to spend a little time with the Ascension story and see what, I, see what God might be saying to me through it. 
So, without further ado, let's just hear that story. It comes to us from the book of Acts, the very beginning, the first 11 verses. Now, before we read this, what do you know about Acts? What do you know about that book? Anything at all? Linda? Uh, the form of the church. Exactly. It's the very beginning days of the church. It's the, the, those early followers of Jesus after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. What happened next, right? The earliest church. Okay, so what else do you know about Acts? Where does it fall in the Bible? Anybody know? After John. After John. Good job, Becky. It's right after the four Gospels. So in the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then you have Acts. And then after that, you get all those letters, you know, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, all those letters. Acts is not really a letter. It's not a gospel. It's right after the four gospels, and it tells the story of the early church. Who was it written by? Anybody know? This is really interesting. Good guess. It's, it's good guess because it's right after John. But it's actually written, biblical scholars tell us it was written by Luke. The same Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke wrote Acts, and it's a continuation of that story. Okay? So there's a little background on Acts, and let me just read the first 11 verses. I'm going to stop a couple times. It starts out this way, Dear Theophilus. So who in the world is Theophilus? Have you ever wondered that? Who is this guy Theophilus? It's God. Well, not exactly. A child of God, though, just like we are. Actually, we don't know exactly who Theophilus is or was, but um, he was the, some, some scholars say he was a catechumen, that is someone who's um, recently come to the Christian faith who's studying about what it means to be a Christian. Um, others say maybe it was Luke's patron, the person that paid Luke, you know, that financed him so that he could write these gospels. Literally, Theophilus means lover of God or beloved of God. So, in that sense, it could be symbolic of any reader, anyone who's reading. <clears throat> Dear Theophilus, in the, in the, just a second, okay? In the first volume of this book, which was Luke, Luke right? I wrote on everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he said goodbye in the, to the apostles the ones he had chosen to the Holy Spirit and was taken up to heaven. After his death, he presented himself alive to them in many different settings over a period of 40 days. In face-to-face -face meetings, he talked to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. As they met and ate meals together, he said to them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem but must wait for what the Father promised, the promise you have heard from me. John baptized in water, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And soon. So when they were together in the last, for the last time, he asked, they asked him, Master, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Is this the time? What are they asking him? Jesus, are you finally going to do what we've been waiting all this time for you to do? Are you going to finally overthrow those bad guys who've been oppressing us and restore Israel? They're asking a political question, right? Because they keep thinking that Jesus is going to do this. And what does Jesus say? 
Here's what he says. You don't get to know the time. Timing is the Father's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. And you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the world. So Jesus says, you don't know the timing, that's God's business. But what I will promise you is that if you wait, there's a gift coming. And what's the gift? The Holy Spirit. Did you plug in the um, switch over? I did. Okay. The Holy Spirit is coming. Next Sunday we're going to celebrate Pentecost. That's when we celebrate that crazy story from Acts with the wind and the flames and the speaking in all the different languages. The gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, when you, re when you receive this gift, you're going to receive power. Power to do what? to be his witnesses all over the place, in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth, you'll receive power to be his witnesses. So continuing in Acts, we read, those were his last words. As they watched, he was taken up and disappeared in a cloud. This is where the story gets really weird, isn't it? He just vanishes like a helium balloon. <laughs> they watch, and he just, poof, he's gone in a cloud. See why I tell you? I don't get this story. But that's okay. They stood there, staring into the empty sky. I mean, wouldn't you do that too? <laughs> like, what just happened here? Staring into the empty sky, suddenly two men appeared in white robes. They said, you Galileans, why are you just standing around here looking up in an empty sky? This very Jesus, who was taken up from among you to heaven, will come as certainly and as mysteriously as he left. Dun, dun, dun. It's kind of a cliffhanger, isn't it? All right, so this story is a little bit odd. Um, here's, here's how this story has been depicted in art over the years. Here you got the disciples. There's Jesus. Poof, like a helium balloon, right? Here's a stained glass window depicting the ascension. How about that one? See how they're all just standing there looking up like, where's he going? What just happened, right? And then this one's my favorite. He lost his shoes. <laughs> he lost his shoes, leaving his shoes behind, because you don't need shoes, I guess. If you're going in the clouds, and there's the angels grabbing him one each by, by an arm, and off they go. So I was thinking about this story, and thinking about how I just really don't understand it. And then I took comfort in uh, one, the words of one commentary I was reading this week, and here's what this author said. It's not the preacher's job to take the Bible's mysterious stories and make sense of them, to get rid of the strangeness or the wildness or the unpredictability. If a story is mysterious, then the church needs to practice being mystified, not jump as quickly as possible to some explanation that removes all the shadows as well as the light. You see why I took comfort in that? We don't have to understand this. Okay? Our job 
is to practice being mystified. Are you mystified? Scratching your head? Just like the disciples were. Why would we understand it when we're reading it in the Bible when the disciples didn't even understand it as they experienced it? Our job is to practice being mystified. But I think what is important here, and this is super important, this is too important to miss, is that Jesus did not stay with his disciples forever, did he? He died. He came back in some mysterious way. We call that the resurrection. He stayed with them for how long? 40 days. He appeared to them in different ways over the course of 40 years. And then what happened? 40, 40, not 40 years. 40 days. Thank you. And then what happened at the end of the 40 days? He went to heaven. He went to, he ascended to heaven. He vanished. That was it. They didn't see him in that way anymore. He was gone. But he left his mission to those disciples. Which is to say, he left his mission to us. Right? It's our job now. He left his mission to us. So we are called, we are called to carry on the mission of Jesus, doing justice, loving kindness, walking humbly with God. Seeking first the kingdom of God, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, caring for the sick, visiting the imprisoned, loving God with all our heart and all our mind and all our soul and all our strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves and even loving our enemies. This is what Jesus said to do, right? And it's on us now. Forgiving seven times seven, or 70 times seven times, if that's what it takes, right? This is our mission. One thing I love is that in the Gospels, oh, here's another one. No, you went backwards. Oh, I went backwards, sorry. In the Gospels, one of the things that Jesus says is, whoever believes in me will do all these things that I've been doing, and even greater things. Even greater things. In other words, you got this. Friends, you got this. If you follow me, you can do this. Whatever it is I'm calling to you to do, you can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, it's not just us. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. Jesus did not stay with his disciples. He died. He rose again. He appeared to them over the course of 40 days, but then he ascended to heaven. He vanished. He was gone, but he left his mission with his disciples. He leaves his mission with us, and we are called to claim our birthright. We're called to find our stride, to use the gifts God has given us. So this week, America lost a hero, right? Maya Angelou. Maya Angelou was an award-winning playwright, she was an author, she was a poet, she was a historian, a songwriter, a singer, a dancer, a stage and screen producer, a director, a civil rights activist. But above all of that, she was a child of God. And she knew it. 
And she knew that she knew it. And she knew that she knew that she knew it, right? This is who she was. And she used her gifts. She knew her gifts. She claimed them. She used them to make a difference in the world. Watch this. If I think of my life as a class and what I've really learned, I've learned a few things. First, I'm, I'm aware that I'm a child of God. It's such a, an amazing understanding to think that the it which made fleas and mountains and rivers and stars made me. What I pray for is humility, to know that there's something greater than I. And I have to know that the brute, the bigot, and the batterer are all children of God, whether they know it or not. And I'm supposed to treat them accordingly. And, and it's hard, and I know it all the time. I like everybody to think of a statement by Terence. The statement is, I am a human being. Nothing human can be alien to me. If you can internalize the least portion of that, you will never be able to say of, a, of an act, a criminal act, or oh, I couldn't do that. No matter how heinous the crime, if a human being did it, you have to say, I have in me all the components that are in her or in him. I intend to use my energies constructively as opposed to destructively. If you can do that about the negative, just think what you can do about the positive. If a human being dreams a great dream, dares to love somebody, if a human being dares to be Martin King or Mahatma Gandhi or Mother Teresa or Malcolm X, if a human being dares to be bigger than the condition into which she or he was born, it means so can you. Not sure why it ended that abruptly, but that's okay. Mother Teresa was a child of God. And she was, I'm Mother Teresa, Maya Angelou. And she's someone who had found her stride, right? She knew who she was. She knew her gifts. She claimed them and she used them in ways that made a difference. She was a witness for Christ, whether she knew it or not, in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. She embodied Christ's love. She did justice. She loved kindness. She walked humbly with God. She used her voice for good, and she challenged other people to be their best selves. And the good news is she's left her mark in the world, so the work that she embodied will continue. 
Jesus' disciples, though, as they said goodbye to Jesus, were kind of clueless. Following his ascension, they just stood around looking up at the clouds like, what, what next? What do we do now? Scratching their heads, barely even to craft a complex question like, now what? Because they didn't want to believe that Jesus went to heaven. And they didn't know what to do next, right, without him. He was the one they were following. <laughs> but before we're too hard on those disciples, let's just be clear that we probably would do the same thing. Because we had, or if we had oriented our lives around this person and his teaching, and all of a sudden he's not there anymore, then what is the path before us? Which is why the gift of the Holy Spirit is so important. Because through the Holy Spirit, Christ promised to be with them. Not in the same way, not physically, the way they were accustomed to, but spiritually present, like a, a life force, like a wellspring of love surrounding them. Like a wellspring of purpose and wisdom and guidance. Like an energizing, enlivening, galvanizing, encouraging, challenging presence in their lives. The center of their identity. And the thing about the Holy Spirit is, we don't get to control how the Holy Spirit works, do we? No. The Holy Spirit just shows up wherever she will. And often in amazing, surprising, transforming ways. So I want to tell you a little story about uh, an experience I had this week where I caught a glimpse of the Holy Spirit. And if you're friends with me on Facebook, you may have read about this because I posted this story. But it's too good not to tell. On Thursday, Sarah and I were at Portland High School for Gloria's Senior Farewell Assembly. The graduates all came in in caps and gowns and... Parents were there, and the, almost the whole student body was in the bleachers. And the graduates sat in the front, kind of facing the audience. And there were some awards given out, and the class sang some songs, and there were some speakers, you know, like you would expect at that sort of gathering. And at one point, there was a gentleman at the podium giving a scholarship in memory of his son, Devin, who had died at age 23, tragically. And you can imagine that was... a terribly difficult thing to do. And so he was speaking through tears, and periodically he would have to stop and catch his breath. And if you can just picture that situation, every heart in that gymnasium was connected with the heart of this father. You know, as he tried to share stories about his son, remembering his life, and offering this scholarship in his son's name. And it was really hard, and he was speaking through tears. Well, all of a sudden... This graduate, sitting in the crowd with her friends, wearing her cap and gown, stood up, and she walked up to the front, to the podium, and she just stood next to that man. She just stood next to him, and she kind of looked at him, and she sort of reached out, put her arm around him. And then he turned and looked at her, at her, and she gave him a hug, and then she went and sat down. I have no idea what was going through that young woman's mind in that moment. But I do know what compelled her to do that. It was the Holy Spirit. Whether she would talk about it that way, I don't know. But see, we don't get to control how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit moves how she will. 
even among us when we don't claim the truth that that's what's happening. Even in the gymnasium at Portland High School during the senior farewell assembly, that's how the Holy Spirit works. Hearts were connected in that room. And I don't know if that young woman would talk about it this way, but for me, she was Jesus' witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth in that moment. Next Sunday, we're going to celebrate Pentecost. Don loves Ascension Sunday. I love Pentecost. Because on Pentecost, we celebrate this crazy gift of the Holy Spirit in wind and flames. Sometimes we talk about it as the birthday of the church, because it was on that day that this small group of timid and defeated and deflated disciples received the gift of spirit and began this movement that continues still today. 3,000 people were baptized that day. And the word of Christ spread. Today we want to celebrate that the gift of the Holy Spirit is ours. Jesus didn't stay with his disciples forever. He stayed with them for a time. And then he ascended to heaven, but he left his mission with those disciples, and he leaves his mission still today with us. So may you set aside your fear, your worry, your doubt, whatever it is that claims you from, that keeps you from fully claiming the truth of who God created you to be. May you claim your identity as a child of God, gifted, capable, beloved. May you continue to discern your birthright, that is your mission, the thing that honors God, blesses other people, and brings you joy. May you know that you have power, that you are amazing, that you are filled with power, that God loves you. And may you go and be Christ's witnesses in the world. Amen. But we are going to sing a new song that we haven't sung before. It's called The 